Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend, and welcome, everybody, watching online. Thanks for joining us also. Uh, I've gotten lots of emails this week asking, uh, because of the spike in COVID, is, is Grace going to kind of change gears, or what our response to that's going to be? And uh, uh, what I would say is this, is that we're kind of set up to handle the ups and downs already. And so that's why there's about 50% of the chairs in here. That's why we, we encourage you to wear masks. That's why we arrange the children's ministries those ways. And it's also why we're so aggressive and work so hard to do things online. And so uh, we'll just keep chugging along. It's gonna be this way. It's fine, it's gonna be this way. It's gonna be up and down and we're just gonna surf it as we go through it. And uh, for those of you watching online, my, my biggest concern is always that you don't feel isolated. So if you're feeling alone or feeling by yourself, email, message me, connect with us, and we'll connect digitally, hang out a little bit, and we wanna make sure that we're there for each other in every way that we can be. So we'll, it, we'll get through it. We're gonna be this way the rest of the year, rest of the school year at least. It's just gonna be the way it is. And as we go up and down, we'll just uh, kind of move through it. We'll do that together, okay? So we're in a series right now that I love talking about. It's called The Gospel, why the message or the story of Jesus is more than you think it is. And uh, through this series, we've been digging at this idea of the gospel. And just to kind of get you up to speed a little bit, if you're with us for the first time this weekend, uh, the gospel is a, is a word. So the gospel is a Greek word, and, it's, and it means good news or to announce good news. And you find it in the Bible, uh, particularly the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. And that word gospel is often around Jesus. So we'll, you'll hear us maybe sometimes in Christian circles, we'll say something like the gospel of Jesus or the good news of Jesus. And we're talking about that. We're talking about that word in the New Testament and kind of what surrounds it. So the gospel of Jesus is the good news of Jesus or to announce the good news of Jesus. So what is that good news? What is that gospel? And it's a big concept, but if I was gonna try to put it into a really tight nutshell, uh, one of the places that I would go to do that is Romans chapter five, verse eight. And the good news of Jesus is this, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the gospel in a nutshell is that God loves us. How do we know that? Well, he demonstrated it. When did he demonstrate it? When he gave his only son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. So the Bible says that spiritually, before I ask the forgiveness of my sin and become a follower of Jesus Christ, that spiritually I'm an enemy of God or I'm alienated from God or I'm dead in my sin. All these different ways that the Bible would describe that my heart is separated from the heart of God. And so there's a point in every human being's life by our nature and by our will that we would look and say, I don't know about God, I don't care about God, I don't wanna follow God, I'm not interested in God. And the Bible would say that, that propensity in us is us raising our fists as an enemy to God. So before I knew, before I cared, before I decided to follow, Jesus gave his life for me because God loves me. God's not out to get me. 
He's not out to trip me up. He's not out to condemn me. He's not out to send me to hell. He loves me. He came to rescue me. He came to free me. He came to set me free from the bondage of sin. Those would be the pictures in the Bible. And that's the good news of Jesus, that God wants to be with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to free us and forgive us. And that's the gospel. So knowing that's true then, what does God want in response from us, right? So do we have to like become religious? Do we have to join the nunnery? What do we have to do in order to interact with God this way? Jesus answered the question in the book of Matthew. He says, what I really want from you guys is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So what God wants in return from us is not like rules, it's not burden, it's relationship. And Jesus would in essence look at us and say, guys, what I want from you is I want you to love me the way that I love you. And I want you to love me with the depth of love that I have for you. And I wanna interact in this relationship with you. So the gospel isn't like getting our ticket punched and going to heaven. That would be a, at best an incomplete gospel. The gospel is there's a God who loves you, who wants to know you, who wants to walk with you, who wants to journey with you, and he wants that back from you. And he wants to engage in that relationship with you, not just later in heaven, but now on earth in a personal and a powerful way. So it's this really incredible thing that God wants to do, and it's kind of like this mind-boggling thing in a lot of ways, and that's why we kind of took time to talk about it because it's, it's key to our relationship with God. And when you think of kind of all that's happening in our world around us, it's really centering and encouraging to know that God loves us, God's aware, and he wants to tie into us. And so we've been talking about this here for the last few weeks. Encourage you, if, if you're kind of jumping up to speed, podcast, YouTube, website, app, like it's probably worth having to listen to all those things. And if you're trying to get your head around uh, what it means to be a Christ follower, if you're just curious about that, or if you're really, really seeking, I think these conversations will help. And if you grew up in church, I grew up in church and I grew up with a, a very incomplete understanding of the gospel. And so if you grew up in church, it might even help you to get your head around that and help you get your head around what it means to, to know and love the heart and the mind of God a little bit more, okay? So as we're going through this process, uh, one of the things we've said is this, that getting a hold of the gospel is not something that we can just do on an intellectual level. So I'm gonna run out of words always, right? I can only talk about it or describe it so much. But receiving the heart and the mind of Jesus and what he wants to do within us it's not something that I add on to my life, it's something that transforms my life. And because of that, it's something that I have to receive or download on a spiritual level. God has to kind of do that in me. And so to that end, we've been talking about the last two weeks, this idea of the gospel prayer. And I got this idea from a guy named J.D. Greer and a book he wrote called The Gospel, which I highly, highly recommend. So I took like his prayer, but I rewrote it. So it's mine, and mine is so much better than his. But we've been walking this through and kind of by phrase by phrase, kind of praying this into our, our lives. So here's the prayer, it goes like this. Jesus, 
Grant me the faith to trust that there's nothing I can do that would make you love me more, and there's nothing I have done that will make you love me less. Help me to allow your presence and your approval to be all that I need for the fulfillment of my soul, and empower me to give my life to others with the same passion and to the same depth that you gave your life to me. As I learn to love you more and more deeply, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. And we've talked about this phrase and this phrase, and this weekend I wanna talk about this third phrase as we're kind of praying the gospel into our lives. Empower me, Jesus, to give my life to others with the same passion and to the same depth that you've given your life to me. Empower me to give my life to others in the same passion and to the same depth that you've given your life to me. Now this is a powerful prayer that will have massive ramifications in our relationships with God and in our relationships with other people. And the power of this prayer is not so much our relationship out there, my relationship with somebody else. God help me to be nice to somebody else the way you're nice to me. The power of this prayer is in my relationship with Christ. God help me to understand the depth and the power and the transformative nature of how you love me. If I'm trying to get my head around this idea that you cannot love me more and you will not love me less, and your presence and your approval is all I need for the fulfillment of my soul, when that happens, or as that is happening, how does that deeply transform my relationships with the people around me? I wrote this in my notes. I said this, however you perceive the gospel is affecting you will be reflected in how you share the gospel with others. However you perceive the gospel is, reflected, is affecting you will be reflected in how you share the gospel with others. In other words, if you think that the gospel is a bit of information, that's kind of what I was taught. You shouldn't be Buddhist, you shouldn't be Mormon, you shouldn't be a Hindu, you should be a Christian, right? If you think that the gospel is a bit of information and you accept that information and it punches your ticket to heaven, then that's how you'll share the gospel, right? You'll look at somebody else and say, you know what you shouldn't be? You shouldn't be this, you shouldn't be that, and you should get your ticket punched. If you perceive that the gospel is transformative in your life, that you really start to download this idea that there is a God who loves us, how do you know? He demonstrated it, when? When I did not love him, when I was an enemy of God, God was a passionate pursuer of me. That God loves me and he loves me deeply and he loves me unconditionally and he loves me in every aspect of who I am and he knows me and he knows the, the grossest and the most shameful parts of my life and I brought all that to Christ and Christ loved me and changed me and moved me because of it. If I believe that is the gospel, then that's how I will share the gospel with someone else. I won't share it as information head to head. I'll share it as a transformed life, reaching out to love somebody 
to see transformation in their life as well. And I've nicknamed this process the gospel cycle. The gospel cycle. So as the gospel rolls into my life, as the depth of God's love and his compassion and his mercy and his grace and his truth, as that take hold in my life, that's what I will then offer to the people around me. I will love my neighbor as myself. I will forgive as I've been forgiven. I will love as I have loved. I will do unto others what has been done unto me. But it doesn't start with a willpower to interact with somebody else. It starts with a recognition that I am the one who God had to work in, and because he has worked in me, now I want that cycle to kick out of me, to reflect out of me, so that I can be that ambassador or that agent or that administer of grace to the people around me, right? So I want to think about this for a couple minutes because this is a kind of a life-altering thing as we get, uh, get our, our heads around it a little bit, okay? So I want us to kind of work at this for a second, this gospel cycle, and I want us to think about how this shows up in the life of other people. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to get your head around, just get, a, get your head around and get an image in your head of the most difficult person in your life, all right? Don't point, that's not nice at all, right? But just get, get a picture in your head of the most difficult person in your life, right? It can be somebody from the past, it can be somebody that, you're, if they're, you're sitting right next to them right now, don't look awkwardly at them. You know, just keep it to yourself. But it can be anywhere in your life, the person who's hurt you the most, the person who's frustrated you the most, the person who, like, you just can't handle it anymore. I want you to kind of get that image of that person in your life. And this is what I want you to see. Ready? Okay, this is how the gospel cycle works. When you think about that person, the most difficult person in your life, ready? Wherever your limit is in extending the gospel to them, where you would look and say, I am done with this person. I, I'm done with patience. I'm done with love. I, I'm done with grace. I'm done with trying. I, I'm, I'm spent. See, wherever the limit is, of your extension of giving the gospel to them, whatever that limit is, this is what I want you to get your head on, wherever you've looked and said, that's it for me, ready? This is what I want you to get. That limit does not reflect as much of your obedience to Christ as it reflects what you believe God's limit is for you. It doesn't reflect so much your obedience to Christ it reflects what you believe God's limit is for you. Where you ran out of patience is where you actually believe God ran out of patience with you. Where you ran out of compassion is where you believe God ran out of compassion for you. Whatever that justification is in your mind where you are no longer in the debt of love, you no longer, like, they've done so much, this is where that line is. Wherever that is, it's not so much an obedience issue between you and Christ as it is a reflection of where you would believe God is done with me. God is not going to love me in this area of my life 
The limit of God's love is this thing that I did in my past. God, the limit of God's grace is once I kicked over this, that's where God's, this habitual sin in my life, that's the thing that God has just been fed up with. And our relationships with other people are not so much issues of obedience. This is for the Christ follower now. It's not so much an issue of obedience in our relationship with God as it is a lack of understanding or what I often call reception of the gospel in our own lives. Because where I look and say, I cannot love that person and I will love them less, I can't believe that God would would say to me, but I cannot love you more and I will not love you less. The gospel, as we receive it, it doesn't add more knowledge to us. It's not, it's not theology and doctrine and information as much as it's relationship. So what the gospel does, it doesn't add up info in our brains. It brings about transformation in our hearts. It renews the mind. It would cause us to think through relationships with God first and then people second in a whole different paradigm and lens because we're changed by what has happened in us and is happening to us because of our reception of the forgiveness of Christ and the transformation that his forgiveness brings with us. And that change is a spiritual change. See, it's, not a, it's not like a lifestyle change. It's a spiritual change because it's unnatural for us to love each other in that way and to give to each other that way. What's natural for us in our humanity is not the gospel cycle. What's natural for us is what I call the retaliation cycle. So what we do in our, in our relationships generally is we'll look at the relationships around us and we'll look and say, whatever you do to me is what justifies an equal and opposite reaction from me to you. So if you steal 20 bucks from me, I feel like I have the justification to steal $20 from you. Now not 50, because that's overkill. But whatever you do to me, I feel like I have the right to do to you. Wherever you withhold love from me, I feel like I have the right to withhold love from you. However you treat me or harm me, I feel like I'm justified to treat you or harm you in some reciprocal way, and I'm right. It's justice that I would do that. It's a retaliation cycle. And that retaliation cycle is our human nature playing out in a non-Christ-like way, where we will wound and strike and wound and strike and wound and strike and feel justified in doing that. I was, uh, a few years ago, I was in uh, Central African Republic, and we were uh, over there working with our our pastors and church planners and uh, missionaries. Some of our African brothers are doing incredible things. Uh, in church planning. But we're over in this other culture. We've been out. We were kind of training these pastors and working with them. And uh, we were headed back to the house that we were staying in. And we were driving through the capital of Central African Republic. It's called Bangui. And as we're going through the capital, we're going to go through this market. 
and it's like a live market. There's vegetables, there's animals, it's, it's all this kind of stuff. And as we're going through this market, there would be nothing that remotely resembled a traffic law <laughs> in this market. I mean, it was crazy. So cars going both directions on both sides of the road. There's like goats in the road and cows in the road and children in the road and people in the road. And, and in that place, in that culture, whoever is on the road has the rights over the car. Like in our culture, we're like, watch out for the car. In their culture, they're like, watch out for the goat kind of thing. And so we're driving through this and people are pressing on and we're kind of creeping through this and we're driving with this little missionary lady and we're sitting in the back and she's taking us back to go get lunch at our, the place we're staying. And as we're in it, she goes, oh, she goes, I forgot to tell you guys something. And we're like, what, what did you forget to tell us? She goes, I just want you guys to know that if we hit a kid or a goat, I'm going to floor it and take off. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. She's like, yeah, here in Central African Republic, we hit and run. I was like, that sounds like a felony. Like, but she's like, that's what we're going to do. And so we're talking, I was like, why would you, if you hit a child, wouldn't you check on the child? And she's like, no, we're going to floor it. And so she's real sweet about it. But we're like, why would you do that? And she said, because in this culture, this culture is a very, very aggressive, retaliatory culture. If you hurt a person, their family feels completely justified to then hurt you. So if you hurt that person, if she hit that kid, she said the people would, if they get a hold of us, they'll drag us out of the car and they'll do to us what they think we did to the child. So we're gonna, we'll take off and we'll get to the next town and we'll turn ourselves in at that police station and they'll protect us from the family of the kid who's going to come after us. And I thought, oh my, I, I miss Wadsworth a lot right now, right? It's a different world, right? Now we would hear that here in North America and we'd be like, that's nuts. That's crazy over there somewhere. And I would look at you and I would say, that's actually just human nature. That is no different than what you and I do. We just don't hit and run because we don't want to go to prison. But we would look and say, that retaliatory thinking, that cycle is the way that we think. My sister's a jerk, so I'm going to be a jerk to her. My ex is a jerk, so I'm going to be a jerk to them. It would be that cycle played out again and again. And it's not an African culture thing. It's a human nature thing. And you and I do that in our sin to each other all the time. The degree to which somebody does something to us is our justification to do that to them. And we will retaliate. And when we retaliate, they retaliate. When they retaliate, we retaliate. When they retaliate, we retaliate. And it cycles into broken relationships then. Right? Jesus, knowing that that's the nature of humanity, brings the gospel to bear. And Jesus would look and say, if you're a Christ follower... The retaliation cycle is not to be your nature. You have a new nature. You have a different way. You've been reborn, born again. 
And so for the Christ follower, the retaliation cycle is not our nature. For the Christ follower, the gospel cycle is to become our response and our reaction to each other. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 and following. He says this, he says, you've heard, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the retaliation cycle. Whatever you do to me gets done to you. And that's Old Testament law. And so Jesus is bringing this up. He's like, you guys all heard that. You grew up going to temple school and you always heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, here's the gospel. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus comes in with the gospel cycle, and he looks at them and us through scripture and says, no, 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 you break the retaliation cycle with the gospel. That's broken. You, everybody knows, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, retaliation cycle, that's your nature, and that's what we all grew up on. But I'm telling you, the gospel is different. If somebody slaps you in the cheek, you turn the other cheek. Why? It's not because Jesus said to. Why do we turn the other cheek? Because Christ turns the other cheek for you. You know how many times you slap Jesus in the face? How many times we willingly sin and willingly rebel and invite evil into our lives and we do that all the time. And what does he do? He doesn't sever relationship. He doesn't say, oh, you walked away from me, I'm walking away from you. Oh, you denied me. He's not severing relationship. How many times does he absorb our rebellion in him? It's like, I want, what, I, what I want you to do, just like I turn the other cheek for you, you do that for them. It's the gospel. It's been, it's, I do that for you all the time. So let that cycle through you and your love for someone else. If, if somebody takes your shirt, give them your coat. Well, they stole from me. You know, the Bible says, and Micah, that, that when you don't tithe, you're stealing from God. We steal from God all the time. And what do we get in response to him? Does he like zip, you know, turn you into a frog, transfer you to Michigan? Like, what, what's he do when we steal from him? He doesn't, not only does he like, is he gracious in our disobedience, but he gives you his coat also. He blesses you. I never tithe and I got the raise. That's how I bought the boat. It's not like I squared up with God. And it's not like he's walking around counting every nickel I put in the plate. And not only does he, is he gracious and merciful in my disobedience, but he's abundant in his response to it. If somebody makes you go one mile, go two. That, that's a cultural thing. So the Romans occupied Israel. A Roman soldier 
could look at really anybody, but with a Jewish audience here, and he could look and say, you are going to be my indentured servant for the next mile. He had the authority to stop anybody and enslave them for one mile. So he's carrying whatever, he's tired, doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing, you're going to carry this for one mile. And the Jewish people were used to that, they hated it, it was ridiculous, it was an overreach of the government. And he looks at the people and he says, when they do that, go two. Go two, don't just go one. Why? Well, that's what I do for you guys. That's what I do for you. You know, you know how many times you use me? How many times you, you just ask me for the next thing? How, how you, you demand that I... And yet I walk with you, I love you, I serve you, I'm not bitter about it. Do you see how the gospel plays out for you? And when you see my grace and my mercy and my compassion for you, and the depth and the consistency that I give that to you, what's two miles? I do that for you, what's your coat? When I do that for you, what's your other cheek? Because what they're doing to you is what you do to me. And what you get from me is not the retaliation. What you get from me is the gospel. It's the gospel. The depth of which I understand God's love is the depth of which I'll give it to the people around me. J.D. Greer says this, great quote. He says, those people who truly believe the gospel become like the gospel. Those people who truly believe the gospel, they become like the gospel where they look and say, what flows out of me is what flows into me. And the more I recognize the depth of what flows into me, the more that I I sit and realize that I am the one. I'm the one who needs loved. I'm the one who needs grace. I'm the one who needs mercy. I'm the one that needs forgiven 70 times seven. And I realize that that is the depth of God's relationship with me. Then it can become the nature of my relationship with the people around me. Guys, this is why the gospel is the ultimate answer to all relational problems. Right? And it's what's missing in all relational problems. Pick a relationship, pick a marriage, right? You look at marriage, and what happens in marriage is this. If you come into my office for marriage counseling, which I've warned you many times not to do because I'm a terrible marriage counselor, I will say some version of, like, you should obey the Bible and then be done. I don't know what else to say. So I'll, I'll get you with good counseling, but I'm not the person. But if you came into my office and said, I need marriage counseling, one of the things I would ask you is this. I would say, where's the gospel in this? Because this is what happens in marital conflict. Ready? When we have marital conflict, she comes in with her complaints about him. 
And he comes in with his complaints about her. And both of them are justifying their actions because of the sin of the other person. If she would act this way, I would respond that way. If he would act this way, I would respond that way. That's the retaliation cycle. There's nothing Christ-oriented about that. And if that cycle is not broken by the gospel, then you will lose your marriage. When you look at tension with your children, a classic fight between parents and teenagers is that fight right there. Well, they are acting this way, therefore we are doing this. Well, my parents are this way, therefore I am doing this. And that's a retaliation cycle. You found justification for sinful behavior against each other. And if that is not broken by the gospel, that relationship will collapse. That's what will blow a church apart. That's what blows a culture apart. That is the basis of cultural tensions, ethnic tensions, racial tensions. That's the basis of all political tensions. That's the basis of all of it. They are this way, and that justifies me in being that way. And Jesus would look at his people and say, but that is not the gospel way. That is not how I interact with you, and it's not how I want you to interact with each other. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's human nature. That's the retaliation cycle. That's the one that feels right. You've heard it say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what, will you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? But be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is looking and saying, if you are justifying your behavior off the behavior of somebody else, how are you any different than the world? If you're, if you're a, a marriage of two Christ followers who use the other person's actions or lack thereof to justify your actions or lack thereof, what's, where's Christ in that marriage? If I lash out against somebody who disagrees with me politically because they lashed out at me, whose kingdom are we serving and trying to build? The Father is motivated by the gospel. He demonstrated it. When we were his enemies, he turned the cheek, he gave the coat, he went the second mile, and he loved us. And when I embrace that, and understand that that's what has happened in me. I didn't get my ticket punched to go to heaven. That's not really at all what the gospel's about. I got an invitation from a loving God to love him and to know him and to be transformed by him. 
And as I get my heart around his heart and his mind, what else can I do but love? As I've been loved, forgive as I've been forgiven. And do unto others what has been done and is being done to me. None of this is natural. None of this is a behavioral change. So that's why we pray. See, pray, Jesus, empower me. Not help me, not remind me, not keep me accountable. It won't work like that. Our human nature will always be at the forefront, but this is the gospel. It transforms me. So, Jesus, you empower me, your work in me. You change me. Empower me to what? To give my life to others with the same passion and to the same depth. Guys, God doesn't love you functionally. He doesn't look at you and say, well, I guess I'm stuck with them. I got, I got to have somebody worship me. He doesn't look at your sin and say, how many times is this diphthong going to trip up on this sin again? How many times is this habit not going to break? How many times have they prayed about this? How many times, what, what part of the Bible haven't they memorized? None of that is the heart of God. So for God's children, as we struggle with sin, he's passionately pursuing us. When we rebel against him, it doesn't tick him off, it hurts him. It grieves him. He aches for us. He longs for us. He pursues us. He's not passionate to condemn us. He's passionate to be with us. And that's why he comes and comes and comes after us again and again and again. So that's supernatural. God, empower me for that. So I'm not just mad at my sister. I'm grieving for the pain in her heart that would cause her to act that way. I'm not just ticked off at my political enemy. My heart's broken at their blindness of what they can't see, that they don't know a hope and a love of Christ. Your passion to the same depth that you gave your life to me. And the gospel transforms all of that. It moves all of that. It changes all of that. And God's people, we reflect that. We, we have that cycle play out in our lives. If our relationships look like everybody else's relationships, they're probably devoid of the gospel. If our reactions look like everybody else's reactions because they had it coming, they made their bed, then our actions are probably devoid of the gospel. As a follower of Christ, what's to make us different is the playing out of the gospel. That we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to love and to give and to lay down our lives in a way that we could never could on our own. And it marks us. It marks us, it identifies us as the people of God because we love as we've been loved, forgives as we've been forgiven.
All right. The band's going to come out, and they'll give us some space. And what we've been doing is we've just been praying this. We've been praying this. So I want to give you a little space to pray it. Like, I, you know, I just, you can't explain it. You have to invite it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for a second, and then we'll give you space. I want you to pray. You and God, don't worry about magic words. Just share your heart with God's heart. Be honest with him. Be open with him. He knows. He loves you. He wants you to, he wants you to win and be successful in this area. He's not mad about it but he wants to be invited into it. And so I want us just to do that for a couple minutes, okay? All right, Jesus, when we think about the person that's hurt us the most, Lord, if we could see ourselves in their chair, that we are that way to you. So God, as we're thinking about those relationships and that pain, would you help us to think about how we need that love and that mercy and that grace from you. And would you empower us to love others with the same passion and to the same depth that you love us. As we pray about this in these still moments, Holy Spirit, would you press into our hearts in personal, powerful ways.